I do. I, I love Christmas. I love to celebrate Christmas. Now, I can see a couple of you Ebenezer Scrooges out there that are kind of giving me the ball humbug look, like I just can't wait till traffic gets better around my neighborhood or whatever it might be, but I love it. I love all things Christmas. I love family time. I love eating those amazing dinners. How many of you know it's awesome to eat those amazing dinners when you know when to say stop, right? Because you can actually eat some more later. You don't have to just go, this is going to be the last food we're getting kind of a deal, right? And I, I love the dinner. I love the presents. I love to get presents. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Just in case you were wondering about my birthday last week or Christmas coming up. I love to give presents. In fact, I found out being a dad, I actually love giving presents more than I love receiving presents. I love it when my kids' face light up. My kids are now 21, 25, 22, and 21. Is that right? 22, 22, 21, and 25. And I love when their face still lights up when I give them something. I love all things Christmas. And, and I think that we should embrace the spirit of Christmas and, and, and in love Christmas all year long. Some of my fondest memories have happened at Christmas. I've shared this with you guys a lot, but we actually grew up pretty poor, didn't have a lot of money. And I remember one year when I was 14 years of age that we had kind of opened up all of our presents and it was a, you know, a good year by our standards. It was kind of like, wow, that, that was awesome. And then my mom and dad said, hey, come in the living room. We got something else we want to show you. We walked in there and we were given shotguns, me and my 12-year-old brother. Some of you are, don't know how to respond to that. Some of you are like, that's awesome. Some are like, are you kidding me? I'm kind of more sometimes on the, are you kidding me, when it comes to understanding that my parents just gave us the shotguns and said, okay, enjoy those things, rather than really saying, okay, now let me teach you about gun safety. In fact, we, we, we got a, I grew up in, the, in, in Iowa, and I grew up kind of out in the country, and so we could go hunting just about any time we wanted for rabbit, right? And so we're out there, and we're walking, and we've got a couple of buddies with us, and we're walking along hunting rabbit like this. I'm 14 years old holding a shotgun. Let me just help you understand it. My brother is 12 years old holding a shotgun. And about that time, a, a rabbit jumps up right in front of us. We near, nearly almost stepped on it, and it runs back between us. What do you do? Do you let it go? Absolutely not. You're 14 years old. Man, we whipped around. All of us started blasting our guns over the hill. And luckily, we all got in alignment and shot around like this. But just about the time the the pellets were going across the hill, my brother steps out from behind the hill. Hey, y'all, what you shooting at? He had made the decision to drop out of the line and go walk down here, back here, and get stuck back here. Pretty fond Christmas memory. 28 years ago, right before my wife and I got married, she, she was kind of beginning to know my family, and we were with my extended family, which is the Browns and the Millers, and if you know anything about my family, we're just a little competitive, and we decided that year for Christmas, we were going to play a game called Family Feud. Y'all ever played that, you know, where you're trying to win the games? Man, I'm telling you, we started talking smack, we started talking trash, we started arguing about the rules and all this stuff, and I mean, we love each other, we could walk away totally fine, but in the middle of it, we're like, bah! like this and I look over on the couch and my wife's eyes are as big as saucers going oh my goodness what am I about ready to get myself into 
few days later, we're just celebrating with my immediate family, my brothers and sisters, and we had all gone in together and bought my parents something really cool for Christmas. And we were so excited about it because, man, we had spent some money. I mean, we didn't have much money, but we'd spent some money. And, and so my mom starts to open up this gift, and she gets the wrapping paper ripped off one side, and it's just a cardboard box. And she kind of looks at it like, what on earth? And she kind of looks around at us, and Pam blurts out, it's a washing machine! <laughs> Literally, all my family that had been looking at the presents is now looking at my wife like, are you kidding me? So just so you know that if you're ever around my family and somebody's about ready to open up a gift and someone blurts out, it's a washing machine, that's why we do that. So I love to celebrate Christmas. And by the way, I do think that we should celebrate Christmas all year long. Why? Because of the birth of a baby? No, I think the birth of a baby is really only exciting to you when, when you're connected or you're related to the person that's having a baby. In, in fact, I've been announcing for several weeks that I'm going to be a grandpa and that we, have, we are going to be having a grandbaby. And I can tell that I'm a lot more excited about that than y'all are. In fact, I've been work using kind of every creative way I possibly can to work this baby into an illustration like today so that you would know that I'm going to be a grandbaby. I mean, a, a granddad. <laughs> I happen to be a grandbaby, but that I'm going to be a granddad. So it's not just about the birth of a baby, but it was about the birth of our Savior. That's why we celebrate Christmas, and, and it was God's gift to mankind. Now, this gift was first announced in Luke, and if you have your Bibles and want to look with me, in Luke chapter 2, this verse, this, this uh, gift was first announced to shepherds, and, and just so you know real quickly, shepherds were the worst job possible. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. It was no little third grade boy's dream that when I grew up one day, I want to be a shepherd, all right? In fact, it's why kids a lot of times were shepherd. And yet the, the announcement of the coming Savior was given to shepherds. And I love that because you know what? God is the Savior for everyone. He's just not the Savior for those that are incredibly successful or, or do well. He's the Savior for everyone. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Uh, you got to catch that. It's for all the people. Crazy family you're about ready to spend time with? All the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And I want you to notice a couple of things in there about the announcement of the coming of the Savior. That he came to be a Savior. He didn't come to be a judge. He didn't come to be a lawgiver. He didn't come to be a rule enforcer. Some of you really need to hear that because that's actually what you think about God. Your relationship with God is based upon that if you do right, you're going to get good. 
And you need to understand that he came to be a savior. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He actually even came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us. We've, we've got to take hold of understanding why we should celebrate Christmas all year long is because a Savior has been born. I'm telling you, I know that you're kind of going, Pastor Richie, we, we hear you. You're saying Savior. You're saying Savior. And yet it's, ame- it's amazing when I talk with people in small groups or in counseling sessions how much they see Jesus as lawgiver, rule enforcer. So notice he's a savior, but also notice verse 14, because he also came to bring to us peace. In, in fact, the, the, the end of verse 14 says, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Just kind of take that in for just a moment, if you would. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Who does God's favor rest on when you're, when you're doing well? No, it rests upon his children. It's actually upon all of his children, those that are even lost and those who've already found him. The favor of God rests upon him. That's why if you fast forward to today under the new covenant, here's what Paul writes in Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified, that means we're declared righteous by faith, not by behavior, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we've been justified, because we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God because of Jesus. That Jesus came to bring us peace. Listen, even if there isn't peace on the outside, even if in the world in which you and I live in today, there are wars and rumors of wars, there can still be peace on the inside. Even if in your home today there are wars and rumors of wars, Jesus still came to bring peace on the inside. That's the hope, the confident expectation of good that we have in Jesus. That's why the next verse goes on to say in verse 2, through whom, talking about through Jesus, we also have access. He's created a way for us to get in by faith into the grace, the undeserved, unmerited favor in which we stand. We didn't get there by our behavior. We got there because of what Jesus did. He created a doorway for you and I to walk into the grace and live in grace and dwell in grace today. And watch this, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, our hope is in experiencing the glory of God. Our confident expectation, because I know when I say hope, some of you are thinking it's kind of a wishy, ooh, I hope thing. No, it, hope is a confident expectation of good. That our confident expectation of good is in experiencing the glory of God. Now, when I say that, what some of you are thinking is the moment in that worship song when all of a sudden the lights were just right. The fog machine was rolling out. Pastor Pam hit that note that you went, that's got to be an angel singing. And you're just going, oh, and you feel something. You're going, that's the glory of the Lord. It is, but it's not the full extent of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is the manifestation of the goodness of the Lord in your life. It's when you get the promotion that you didn't deserve. It's when you get the job that you didn't deserve. It's when you marry the person that you didn't deserve. And I'm talking about marrying over your head, not going, oh, I did not deserve that, right? It's the glory of the Lord. 
That is why we celebrate Christmas all year long. That is why we celebrate it, because it's the hope that you and I have found in Christ Jesus. And just so you know, the whole world is crying out for that hope. They're looking for it in wrong places. They are. But listen, the whole world is crying out for that hope. That's why we've decided as a church that we are a community that's not just for the people on the platform or some of the leaders, that we are a community that is dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Jesus Christ. That everywhere we go, God did not call us to be lawgivers. He did not call us to be judges. So don't post those things on Facebook that are judgmental towards other people. He called us to spread the love and hope of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. We're giving away love. We're giving away hope. We're telling people, listen, God's got an amazing plan for you. He's for you today. It's life-changing. That's why Christianity and the birth of Jesus Christ isn't something that we should just celebrate at, at Christmas or at Easter. It isn't something that we should focus on on Sundays and compartmentalize it. And then we go live our real life. It's something that we should lay hold of and take with us everywhere we go. It's something that we walk out and we live out every day, moment by moment. He who brought us peace wants us to give that peace away to other people. Because you know why? On us rests his favor. Listen, you're so precious to God that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. He he came to provide hope for you and I today. That's where we place our hope. That that song we were singing, You've Never Let Me Down. How's it go? You're never going to let me down. That's it? You're never going to let, never going to let me down. You sure that's it? Okay. You know, (laughs) I know that, and I just wanted to make sure. This is going out on the internet. It's going out on the line. I want to make sure that I'm getting this right. I know sometimes... <laughs> I know sometimes... I know sometimes when we're singing that song, we're singing, you have let me down, God. Honestly. God, you have let me down. Why, why didn't this happen? Or why did this happen? And I'm here today to tell you that the world will let you down and God won't always give you everything you want when you want it. But I'm telling you, he has never let you down. Never, ever, ever let you down. It's the most amazing thing in the world, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus today on whom his favor rests. So the question that needs to be asked and answered is how do we hold on to hope? How do we hold on to hope? Because it is easy to lose. Even as followers of Jesus Christ who have placed our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, it's, it's easy in situations, in moments to lose hope and become very hopeless. How do we learn to celebrate Christmas all year long? And, and just so you know, for those of you that are kind of freaking out a little bit, I'm not talking about us playing Christmas music all year long. I feel sorry for people that work in retail that hear those songs over and over again. I know at some point they got to be going, oh, please, Jesus, let Christmas happen. (laughs) Nor am I talking about you keeping your Christmas lights up till Jesus comes back, all right? After Christmas, it's okay to take them back down, all right? I know Christmas is coming every year, and some of you are thinking, I'll just leave them up. But I'm talking about learning how to, to keep hope alive in our lives. 
Because I'm telling you, the devil is after your hope. He is today. So we've got to learn how to stay focused on what the Savior came to bring us. Which, by the way, we actually have to be intentional about it. Because if we just get numb, not using my brain, we can run downhill pretty quick. We can think wrong things pretty fast. We have to actually engage with keeping hope alive in our lives. So today I want to look at two different people this morning. I'm finally to my message. Um, this morning, who were given a message of hope but responded in different ways. Because you see, every week that we come hear the word of God, we're being given a message of hope. And, and it's really not about what happens up here on the platform because, you know what, sometimes, man, the service seems to flow and things are awesome. Sometimes it feels a little awkward and things aren't flowing as well. It does not matter. You can receive hope Every time you hear the word of God, if you lay hold of it and take hold of the hope which Christ came to bring you. So there's two people I want to look at. First, the first one is Zacharias. Now, Zacharias is married to Elizabeth, and we're going to see him in just a second. And, and they were the parents of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. So they were parents of John the Baptist that I actually like to call John the non-denominational, no offense to my Baptist friends, but they were the parents of of John the Baptist, and the Bible says that they were well advanced in years and that um, Zacharias was a priest. So the story begins in Luke chapter 1 with Zacharias in the temple of the Lord, and he is lighting the altar of incense. Now, just so you know, this is, this is a, a, an analogy of, of, our, of our prayers going up to heaven, that, that prayers are going up to heaven. And as the fragrance went up to God, suddenly the angel Gabriel appeared to, to him, and the Bible says that Zacharias was troubled and afraid. Are you noticing a pattern that every time an angel shows up, people get troubled and afraid? I think that would probably freak me out a little bit too right? Here's what the angel said to him. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. Gabriel goes on in the next four verses talking about all that John is going to do, that he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord, that he will turn the disobedient under the wisdom of righteousness, that he will turn the father's hearts to their children. Now, can you imagine being Zacharias in this moment? The thing that you have been praying for, a son, all your life is suddenly about ready to come true. The angel shows up and says, hey, it's about ready to happen. In fact, think about it for just a moment. Something that you've been believing God for. Maybe it's a healing in your body or, or the salvation of a, of a family member. Or it's something that you've been believing God for. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, hey, what you've been praying for is about ready to take place. How would you respond? You know what, what I'd like to think that would happen with me is that I would fall down on my knees and say, oh God, thank you so much. Thank you for answering my prayer. But, but look at Zacchaeus' response here in verse 18. It says, and Zacchaeus said to the angel, how shall I know this? Here's what he's really saying. How can I be sure of this? You, you remember Gideon? Right? How can I be sure of this? Now watch this. For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Listen, Zacharias has just had an encounter with an angel, all right? I can understand this a little bit because every day I wake up, I have an encounter with an angel. Thought I'd say that since I shared the other story earlier. And he says this to him, though, how can I know that what you're saying is true? Does that not stagger me? That does not seem very smart, 
Now, now, one of the things I do have to give him credit for is that when he says to the angel, I'm old, he doesn't say his wife's old. He says, my wife is well advanced in years. <laughs> Guys, take note. Smart thing he said. Watch this. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Gabriel goes on in the next verse and he tells him what's going to happen because of his unbelief. Look at it in verse 20. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. Now, when I was growing up, missionaries used to come to our church all the time. And they would talk about these amazing crusades that would happen. And how people would come forward and how God would heal the deaf and the dumb. And when I was little, I used to think, who would be dumb enough to come forward for prayer for dumb? Yeah, I'm kind of dumb. Can you pray for me? Probably somebody that was dumb, right? Until I discovered that dumb doesn't mean dumb like we normally use it. It means mute. So Zacharias became dumb or mute because he didn't believe Gabriel's words. In fact, he was not going to be able to speak until for nine months until the prophecy was fulfilled. Now, some of you are married to somebody go, that would be smoking awesome if that would happen to them. So why would God want Zacharias to be dumb? Now catch this. Why would God cause him not be able to speak for nine months? Catch this. Because when you don't believe God, you can foul up the miracle process that God wants to do in your life. See, many times God is doing something in your life or he's wanting to do something in your life that you prayed for and you foul it up by opening up your mouth. Pastor Richie, that doesn't really happen. Really? I believe that God is a God of restoration and he's a God of healing. And so there are sometimes in our marriages when we need restoration and we need healing and God begins to do the work and all of a sudden things are becoming restored. And what do we do? We open up our mouth and we speak what we felt in the moment, what we thought in the moment. Rather than understanding what God's wanting to do, we say the wrong thing, and we're fouling up the process of what God is wanting to do. Listen, sometimes the biggest problem that we have is two inches right below our nose. It's our mouth. It is. It, it's, not, it's not your spouse. It's not your family. It's not your in-laws. It's not your boss. It's not your employees. It's not even the situation that you're dealing with. It's the things that you're saying over your life. You're declaring the problem in the situation that is trying to steal the hope that God wants you to have. Listen, that isn't being real. That isn't being real. Oh, I'm just real. I just got to say how it feels. No, that's being faithless. That's being dumb. The other dumb. So often our words are so destructive in what we say, but God in his mercy shuts Zacharias' mouth so he won't foul up the miracle process that God is doing. I think it's amazing how much God loves us that sometimes he would actually cause us to have something that we think is a suffering thing, but he's doing it to protect us. By the way, it's interesting that the last words that, we, that Zacharias spoke, and we don't hear him for nine months, is, I'm an old man. Listen, I don't think that's something that we should ever be saying over ourselves. In fact, if you'll start saying it, well, I'm old, I'm old, I'm old, I'm old, you're going to start to feel old. 
In fact, look what the word of God says about them. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Notice it doesn't say they were old. They were well advanced in years. Listen, old is, is honestly somewhat relative. I talk to 21-year-old kids and they know someone who's 35 and they're going, man, they're just so old. And perhaps today you're west of 50, 60, or 70. I don't know where you're at, but we shouldn't be calling ourselves old because, listen, with God, nothing is impossible. And the moment you start thinking you're old, you start thinking you're done. God, I I guess my best days are behind me. God, there's more that you could have done, should have done, but God, I guess I'm old. Listen, we cannot underestimate the power of God working in our lives to bring miracles into our life. Richie, is that really true? Let me show you a promise from Psalms 103 that reminds us to not forget the benefits that God has brought us, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This coming year is going to be one of the youngest years for some of you. When you see yourself in December of 2019, you're going to be going, dude, you look better than you did last year. And if you're sitting here today and you're going, well, how can I know that's true? That just sounds too, be, too good to be true. I would sit up and pay attention and learn a lesson that Zacharias had to learn the hard way and place your hope in Jesus Christ. Place your hope in his promises. Place your hope in what Christ came to bring to you. Amen. And that's good preaching. I'm getting myself excited today. Listen, Zacharias wasn't the only one that received a visit from the angel Gabriel. Mary, the mother of Jesus, did too. In fact, Bible scholars believe that Mary was probably 13, 14, 15 years old. A very young lady. And if we contrast Zacharias' response to the angel Gabriel with Mary's response, Mary's answer was different when the angel visited her. In fact, let's look at it in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. It says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will receive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Look at Mary's response in verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Now, I want you to understand that hers was not a question of if, it's a question of how. She knows that it's going to happen. She didn't say, well, how do I know that what you're telling me is really true? What she's saying is, how can this be? I don't know a man. I'm a virgin. How is it going to happen that I am going to have a child? Now, if we're contrasting these two people, Zacharias and Mary, let me ask you, what would be more difficult To have a child in your old age or to have a child as a virgin? Virgin, right? Y'all went through middle school, right, and had the classes? Okay, good. All right. So watch, watch the angel's response to her. Then the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Watch Mary's response in verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And, and please don't miss that. 
Because it's in Mary's response that we see how to hold on to hope, that we learn how to celebrate Christmas all year long. Our response to God, to his goodness, and to his promises should be, let it be to me according to your word. Amen. By the way, amen means so be it. Every time you say amen, you're saying, let it be to me according to your word. That's why when I'm preaching the word of God and I'm telling you that God's for you, not against you, and in your mind you've been wrestling with that all week, if you'll just lean in and say amen, what you're saying is let it be to me according to your word. I believe it. Listen, the devil wants to get you quiet. He wants to keep you silent. He wants you to be on Facebook. He wants you to do all kinds of other things rather than hearing the hope that he has for you today. To understand that God loves you with an everlasting love. He's 100% for you today. This is going to be your best year. This is going to be your best year health-wise. This is going to be best year in some relationships. It's going to be your best year financially. Amen, amen, amen. Let it be unto me according to your word. So if you're sitting there and you're saying, or you're going to allow yourself to continue to say, yeah, I really don't know if that's actually right. I want you to know that what I'm saying, the word that I'm saying to you is going to fall on the ground. It's not going to impact your life. It's not going to change you. And it's not because God goes, well, if you're going to act that way, then I'm just taking it back. It literally is something you have to receive. Because God, in his sovereignty, gave you and I a free will. We get to operate at the level of faith that we choose to operate at. And we can compartmentalize God make heaven secure, go into heaven and live in hell on earth, or we can make sure that we're going to heaven and live in part of heaven here on this life by simply saying, amen, let it be unto me according to your word. When God says he's for you, not against you, we say, when God says you're more than a conqueror, we say, when God says you're blessed in the city and blessed in the country, we say, amen, amen, amen. Let me close with one, one final verse. Romans chapter 15 says, Now may the God of hope, man, you got to catch that. He is the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. If you're not filled with joy today and you're not filled with peace, chances are you're not believing and trusting God's promises. That you may abound in hope. That your confident expectation of God will continue to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, all you've got to do is say, God, I don't really get this. God, I don't know how you're going to fix my marriage. I don't know how you're going to fix my health. I don't know how you're going to fix my finances. But God, I'm reading what your promises say. So God, I want to lean into you today. Listen, if there is hope in the future, meaning that you believe that God's actually going to make something better that you're walking through right now, there's power in the present. There's power to get out of bed when you don't feel like getting out of bed. There's power to walk away from the depression and anxiety that the enemy's trying to entangle you with. 
It's time for you and I to start speaking life and hope into lifeless and hopeless situations. Listen, it's not just going to affect you. It will affect your family. It will affect your work environment. It will affect everywhere that you and I go, that we can be the community that God's created us to be, deciding that we're dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. I'm telling you, Christianity works. Let me say it again. Christianity works. It's not this thing I have to do. It's something we get to do. We are highly favored because of what Jesus Christ has done. So I want to pray over you today. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Close your eyes right where you're at. 